the report is diverse, right? We cover different threats, different mitigation strategies, and, and, and as you pointed, both low-level issues as well as sort of higher-level strategic issues. The goal is, frankly, for, for all of these articles to be relevant, right, for stakeholders. The flip side is you may be in your cloud journey, you know, in a particular place. And so something like maybe at the beginning of, of the journey where you're worried about sort of default credentials and you're thinking about, well, how do we set up basically just do basic blocking and tackling, right. you, you may want to see some of the more basic articles which talk about just some hygiene that you can, that you can sort of implement. If you're further along, you get into more strategic, look at more strategic articles, like mismanagement, right, or state actors and so forth. Welcome to another episode of Mannion's Defenders Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Luke McNamara. My guest today, I'm excited to have on Stan Trepatin, Technical Program Manager and a member of the Threat Intelligence team within Google Cloud. Of course, as with those of us here at Mannion joining Google Cloud, I thought this would be a great opportunity to kind of hear from some of the work that's going on in the security space over there. Uh, so Stan, great to have you here today. Thank you. Great to be here, Luke. So I think probably me, the best place we can begin is just sort of your background, your role within the, the Threat Intel team at Google Cloud and sort of the mission of that team. And then we'll jump into some of these other things we were uh, talking about beforehand around this new report that you guys recently released. Sure. So I've been at InfoSec for, for over 20 years and probably over 30 years in IT. Worked in, in financial services for about 10 or 11 years, uh, but also worked in healthcare uh, and, and did academic research. I have a PhD in the space. Uh, I was a CISO myself previously, yes, because I've been, been doing this for many years. As to the role within, within Google Cloud, in, yes, so indeed I'm, a, I'm one of the researchers on the threat intelligence team and in the Google Cloud. It's a re reasonably new team, actually. But the purpose of the team is to provide strategic threat intelligence to Google Cloud customers, specifically their CISOs and their boards. And the vehicle that we use this is Threat Horizons, right, THR. THR is also read by the public as well, but our purpose is, again, is to provide this high-level strategic intelligence to, to these stakeholders. Yeah, I think this is, I've, I've had a chance to read this report before, and of course, the most recent iteration was reading it in preparation for our discussion here today, but I find it a very interesting and fascinating product, one that there's not a lot of comparisons out, but one of the things I did want to kind of talk to you about is um, we have our, our big you know, public report, uh, our public threat trends report, you could say, the, the M-Trends report that we put out every year, primarily drawn from our, our breach intelligence data. And it's always interesting, we've done a couple episodes around that report and obviously the findings of that report, but one of the things that I always like talking to the authors of it is the sort of thought process that goes into when you're creating a report like this, when you're creating a report like the Threat Horizons report. And there's so many different things you could cover, right? There's everything that's going on across the, the the threat landscape. And I think this report is also very useful because you're not just describing that, but you're providing specific advice and guidance to consumers of Google Cloud products uh, and steps they can take to make their organizations and the products they're using more secure. There's a lot you could potentially include. So how do you think about what you want to include? And with, as you're saying, that mission of providing strategic intelligence to those consumers, to those customers, what are some of the things that you know, you've seen kind of play into how you think about what you include in this? Right. And, and, and first of all, to your point, indeed, right, this is not about sort of IOCs. Uh, this is more about sort of strategic threats. So the overall goal is to provide interesting or novel current or future threats uh, that affect Google Cloud. And in some sense, sort of 
other cloud providers as well, right? So that, that's kind of the overall way that we think about things. We generate our own ideas, right? By reading sort of industry press uh, and then coming up with interesting stories to write about, right? In, in, this, in this context. One thing that we do, which is kind of interesting as well, uh, is we also try to identify internal Google data sets, right? That are only available within, within the firm, analyze them and, and explore publication, Right, so are there, are there some things that uniquely Google sees that would provide some, you know, some thought leadership and, and some perspectives that the others may not have? Um, we also partner with other teams who also provide maybe some some degree of threat intelligence, maybe a little bit more generically or in their own domain, but again, supporting the overall mission of, from a cloud perspective. So we, for example, may partner with the threat analysis group, Virus Total, and other teams to again to develop ideas and. You know, within, within the OLO framework. So that's kind of how we do this. It's through partnerships, it's through reading the press, but the goal is to sort of inform folks of interesting threats on the horizon. And I would imagine a piece of that is also the conversations that you're having with customers or the feedback that you're hearing from customers as to maybe particular pain points or challenges that they face or just even recurrent questions that you get a lot of. I would imagine that would be an input. It, it, it would be, yes. And, and, we, and we, we may see that, for example, actually through, uh, you know, through maybe in discussions with customer support, right? So our, our own support organization, we, we may talk to them as well, in addition to our customers, and just see, like, look for trends. Like, what are people reporting? What are they seeing? And, and based on that, we may write articles saying this seems to be common or prevalent or it's growing and so forth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as you mentioned, you've got a lot of great data sets in here that you pull from across from Google. You cite some other industry reporting as well, and then provide sort of your, your take or context uh, around that. Now that we've kind of talked about what goes into the planning of the report, let's talk about this you know, most recent edition. What were some of the high-level key takeaways from this most recent report? I guess I should mention this goes out quarterly, correct? It, it does now, yes. So, so recently, we're going to, we're going to be tr- uh, putting it out on a quarterly basis, yes. So yeah, so there's there's about eight articles or so in, in, in the current one. I'll just mention some just some of the highlights of what's present. So in one of the articles, actually by the head of, of Threat Intel team here at Google Cloud, he wrote about how if you want to protect yourself against state actors, it may be a good idea to share threats and, and vulnerabilities from them with the community as soon as possible. The idea being that large threat actors may have sort of substantial infrastructure and tooling to sort of hit multiple domains or uh, organizations across domains or across countries. But nevertheless, it's targeted, right? It's targeted because the, the, hope, the, the hope is to create problems at scale, right? However, if you're a smaller organization and you work with ISACs or you tell about the vulnerabilities that you see to security vendors, you can blunt that effect because the more people know, the more people can respond. But these actors, while they're big, they may not be as nimble. So they may not be able to sort of pivot, right, to, to new techniques as soon as everyone knows. So that, that's, that's it's actually a way of actually using scale against them to some degree by sharing data and blunting their uh, their effect. So that's in one example. Uh, so we've actually published statistics recently as well. So for example, compromises in Google Cloud environments for, for the second quarter of this year. Turns out that the biggest way that, that people break into GCP is because of weakened default passwords, right? And that may be expected. Also, this for, for Q2, uh, certain popular software like WordPress and RDP, right? and, and obviously communication tools, were also angles that, that, people, that people broke, how they broke into the GCP environment. And another stat, and I'm sure many, many cloud stakeholders may know this, is that once they're in, 
the environments, the in two thirds of the time, at least in GCP, crypto mining is the is the preferred exploitation of choice. That once they break in, they they try to spin up resources and and you know mine coins and so forth. That's what we have seen. So we have stats on that. Another article I thought was interesting, sort of and potentially maybe a little bit understood as well. When when hackers break in, one reason that they break in into cloud environments is actually to use that as a launching pad for other attacks. The idea being that if you come from trusted infrastructure, the ultimate target may be less suspicious as opposed to if you just come in from the outside. So people have done that too by stealing service account credentials and so forth. Uh, so another article that we have. And then we also talk about, for example, another one is like different logs. We talk about what logs you can use to monitor different types of compromises within GCP. So for example, cloud identity logs to monitor sort of highly privileged account work. Um, and then auto logs for admin to, for example, look at permissions that may have been granted for service account management, right? So we give people pointers on how to use logs within GCP. So those are some of the highlights of this recent report. Yeah, and I think as you were saying, <laughs> probably no surprise that, you know, weekend or, or, or compromise credentials uh, being kind of a you know, the main primary entry vector for compromises on this infrastructure. I was a bit surprised how high the, the crypto mining activity was. And that seems pretty significant. And I think also a reminder that sometimes when we may have a preoccupation in focusing on the more high-end threats from APTs and others, not that some of those don't do some of that activity at times to maybe obfuscate what else they're, that they're doing, but that high level of prevalence on GCP infrastructure, I thought was interesting to, to kind of note in this report. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, no, in, indeed. It, it's, again, from, from our support organization and from our data, this is, this is definitely, a, unfortunately, a popular technique <laughs> within, uh, within Google Cloud. Is there a particular way that you recommend folks consume this report? I mean, you have obviously these, these articles that are somewhat, that kind of see as deep dives into particular topics where you maybe have a particular passion for one of those and you jump in, you can just start with those. Do you have to read it front to back? What's the, the way that you would recommend people consume this? I would I would probably look at the sort of look at summaries. I mean, sort of obviously the, the titles of the articles themselves. Probably maybe briefly read the first paragraph or so. The report is diverse, right? We cover different threats, different mitigation strategies, and, and and as you pointed, both low level issues as well as sort of higher level strategic issues. Just have a look to see like what's more relevant. I mean, again, the goal is to is is frankly for for all of these articles to be relevant, right? For stakeholders. The flip side is you may be in your cloud journey, you know, in a particular place, and so something like um, maybe at the beginning of, of the of the journey where you're worried about sort of default credentials and you're thinking about well, how do we set up basically just do basic blocking and tackling, you you may want to see some of the more basic articles which talk about just some some hygiene that you can that you can sort of implement. If you're further along, you get into more strategic, look at more strategic articles like risk management, uh, right, or state actors and so forth. So just skim it. Yes, I, I'd say go from top to bottom and see see what's relevant for, uh, for, for you or your friends for that matter, if you want to pass it on. Gotcha, which people should definitely do. So let's, let's jump into two of the articles that you were involved in, in writing in, in particular. Let's start maybe with the cloud application and security reviews and data discovery one. So this is around sort of issues arising from improper cloud oversight and some of the sort of business and regulatory risks that can come on, on top of that. Help break this down uh, for us. Sure. This article is about indeed sort of data governance and application security governance you know, in cloud settings. We have 
you know, sort of a, a good amount of perspective and knowledge how to do this in on-premise environments. I wrote this article to sort of to elaborate uh, some similarities, you know, and maybe a couple of differences as well, sort of in, cl- in cloud settings. Uh, so in particular, first, I mean, I, obviously I pointed to some statistics, which again, you know, sort of maybe not, not the best ones from a cloud a vulnerability perspective, but nevertheless they exist, right? So like a survey, for example, from IDC in, uh, in 2021 said that about three-fifths of organizations thought that inadequate visibility and identity management were problems in the cloud because they were, they were doing things like setting up buckets with uh, storage buckets with public access, right? They were giving too many privileges to service accounts and so forth, right? And this leads to compromises. 60, 63% of those orgs actually had sensitive data exposed in the cloud, which, and that moved, that went to 85% for more mature organizations that spent at least 50 million of cloud infra. So the point is, these are issues, and I, I point out those risks, including, for example, uh, another survey from, from Q4 of last year that um, in the past 12 months, uh, organizations said that internal staff have abused cloud privileges, right, of, of, of their own internal applications, including GCP, AWS, Salesforce, ServiceNow, and, and so on. So these, these things exist, right? They're, they're prevalent. And then I get into the kind of the suggestions and proposals of kind of, well, what, what, what does this really mean? And I mentioned, for example, that people are moving to the cloud, they're moving apps to the cloud, or data is moving to the cloud. And just from a basic data governance point of view, just like in the on-premise world, you want to know where is your data, right? How sensitive is your data in the cloud? Are the controls that you've implemented in your workloads and, and, and applications sort of commensurate with that sensitivity? How is sensitivity changing over time, right? These are questions that many people have in and, and, and cloud as well. And then I kind of propose some suggestions. Uh, the first is that application security reviews should be a tool that you use to understand security specifically of, um, of workloads, of data feeds, and, and apps in the cloud particularly. And these are sort of more standard. The, the, the framework is more standard, although you have to apply it to the cloud. So I mean, we're talking about, for example, things like threat modeling. Right? So you do threat modeling in a particular way in on-premise, but in the cloud, it would be somewhat different, right? Infrastructure is different and so forth. But, but the concept of threat modeling, you can still do. You can still apply it into, into these settings. Security architecture reviews, right? Dynamic and static code analysis, right? You can do all of these things in, sort of from an application security review perspective. The issue, of course, just like in on-premise, you, you only have so many resources that you can bring to bear on this, right? These are involved processes. And I, and I you know, personally, I've done many of these myself, so I, I know kind of what's involved. It's, it's, it's a laborious effort, lots of manual effort. And so the suggestion, therefore, is to do these kind of in-depth reviews, but only on a small set of applications, right? The key ones, that, that's kind of the, the, the goal here. For all the other ones, because again, people moving to the cloud, all the other stuff, do more automation. So, so you can actually handle this at scale as your business, uh, as your business presence in the cloud grows. And then I provide a graphic, and for, you know, for readers of the, of the THR, they, they will see it in the, you know, in the report, which where I sort of break down a workflow a little bit about, well, how to think about this, how to think about this from a risk management point of view. So more specifically, I, I recommend that for high security risk applications, as well as some critical medium security risk applications, workloads, as well as data feeds in the cloud, do these AppSec reviews in depth. For, media, for the remaining medium and low-risk apps, workloads, and data feeds, as well as 
for those assets which have not yet been classified. So you may not know, right? Sometimes, for example, you know the, the, the criticality of an app because you're moving it there. You know what, it's, what, it's, what it was like on-premise. You know the data. Maybe, maybe you have some kind of data governance process on-premise. So you know what's happening and you can take action. Sometimes you don't. You're, you're building new feeds. You're building a brand new cloud-native app and so forth. You may not be sure. For those cases, use a more automated data discovery and the identification process, right? You know, it, it's not that labor intensive because it's automated, but it will still provide some controls, right? Because you, you have some measure of understanding what the data is. And for example, the identification is, is a particular control to protect that data. So that's kind of the overall risk management perspective of how to think about as you move into the cloud, kind of what to do. And then I mentioned kind of the benefits of this approach is that things like you keep your um, application inventories up to date, including the CMDB, for example, right, with assets. You keep data classifications current, right, with some of this automation stuff. And you also better align security controls to better understood risks, right? So for high-risk high risk assets, you'll be doing those threat modeling exercises. You'll be getting involved and, and, and then properly designing the cloud controls to support you. Uh, but for, even for, for data classification, with some of the automation, you can actually, you know, you de-identify based on risk. That's also sort of a value, a value capability where you align, again, risk and control. Real quickly, to go yeah. back to what you yeah. were saying at the beginning or earlier on about, you know, you have these different audiences that you're communicating to with these, with these articles. And some of these are, are organizations that are at the very beginning of their cloud journey, others that are more mature. It seems like this one, you have a little bit of both in here, right? Because there's con some of these concepts that you're mentioning are obviously going to be very useful for if you're beginning to think about starting that cloud journey and, and you know, putting data there. Um, this is obviously very important, but also as you're continuing to add data, understanding what data is where and, you know, the sensitivities of that data. That seems to also be very important for some of those maybe more mature organizations, some of these concepts that you're talking about. For sure, yes. So, uh, in, indeed, like, I mean, th this, this is sort of just, again, just sort of overall risk management sort of practices adopted from, I mean, general frameworks into, into a cloud setting, and, and, and that, that, that's absolutely the case. You can determine, even with some basic, basic risk management stuff, like if, if you're in the beginning of the stages, you know, here's kind of what, here's how to think about it. Here's what to do, right? And it probably initially your risk taxonomies and your, you may only have three levels of risk as opposed to five levels of risk, right? You may only just have basic approaches of how you do risk management. You can still use this technique because it tells yeah. you, you know, kind of what, what to do. Obviously, if you're more mature, you can, your, your concept of data governance become more complex, right? You're getting into, well, not just is data sensitive, but where did it come from? Where are the backups, right? Uh, is it fresh, right? So, this allows you to build data governance framework, right, in, in, in cloud environments, yes. You mentioned also threat modeling, and that made me think of, um, I think in the intro, Chris uh, had this comment in there with the introduction about the, you know, thinking about who, what sort of individuals do you have data around, you know, you may be uh, a financial institution, a healthcare institution, a hoteling chain, but you may have data that you are storing or that you're safeguarding, protecting it of some kind that could be a value to targets that may be not as, you know, centric but necessarily on you, but that data might be something of, of interest to them, which I thought, you know, this is my, my tie into some of the recent research we've been doing on the Mandian side, but uh, our most recently graduated threat actor, APD42, uh, an Iranian cyber espionage group, you know, they do a lot of targeting of high value targets, individuals of interest, the, the Iranian state, dissidents, individuals like that. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind for those organizations that say, well, 
I'm not specifically in that space or, you know, that's not the, the category of, of threat that I would necessarily think of, but you may be an organization that has data of interest because some of your customers might be individuals that fall into that category. And so that, that was something I thought was, you know, potentially an interesting kind of tie-in with some of the research we've been doing. And I think a point well-made, kind of what you were saying about threat modeling, and then also what I think is, is mentioned in this report several times, which is, you know, being cognizant of that data that you have and kind of the risk to individuals that that data may represent. Yes, yep, indeed. You, you can have data, you know, j- just for operations, you know, for, for, your own, for your own organization, but someone may, may want to break in because they, not, not, not because of you, because they think they can leverage it and, and do something bad elsewhere. So that, that's absolutely true, yes. The other article that you wrote in here was this one on malicious files and URLs slipping by IT governance uh, controls. Um, and in this in particular, I pulled this out, you, you noted two trends that are becoming more common. The first being how malware incorporates icons visually, visually similar to, to Windows legitimate you know, software, and then also how malware embeds and subsequently executes from its packaging installation programs from legitimate software. Yes. So break that down a little bit for us, what you mean with those. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I could talk about just those specifics and we can go back to the article more generally if we want to. Uh, but So th- this article is, in general is about, it's about a virus total report that came out recently, <clears throat> which uh, investigated malware in its, among its, terabytes of data, right? Because it's obviously a huge repository, spanning uh, 2021 and through the middle of 2022. So about a year and a half worth of data. And they found various malware evasion techniques, you know, in particular, like, for example, the two that you mentioned, and there's a couple of others as well. So, and one of the techniques was indeed this usage of icons. So in, in the Windows case, yeah, indeed, what is a growing trend is that hackers are creating malware and embedding icons into the installation process of the malware that represent well-known Windows software, right? And obviously the point of this, and we may have you know, seen some of these flavors before, is to, you know, to, to reduce suspicion that when you're installing something, you know, something similar pops up on the screen and you say, okay, right, I think I know what this is, right? It's what I expect even though it's not, right? So but that's actually a growing trend. Uh, there's also another flavor of this that malware authors do, and that is they use favicons, right? So those little, uh, those little logos that you see in, in the URL address bar or in bookmarks and so forth that represent sort of well-known companies. Again, for example, like uh, the designers of, of phishing pages, you know, take them or, or, or create something similar. So that, again, when you visit a phishing page, you think, hey, this is actually something familiar, right? Again, the, the use of iconography to, to represent similarity. That's the first comment, a uh, growing trend. And the second one, indeed, and we actually have an example of this in the article as well, how basically malicious code and legitimate software is being packaged for installation purposes. And there's two flavors of this. One is how malicious code is embedded into legitimate software installation programs so that when you install legitimate software, one or several of the dropped files happens to be malicious code. Okay, that's one flavor of this. A second flavor of this is the reverse. It's the integration of legitimate software, including installers, into malicious software install packages. So it's the opposite. And the point here is, as you're downloading this malicious package, Maybe if you have an, a virus scanner and, and so forth, if it actually recognizes that, that some components of this package is actually legitimate, which it is, right, because they, it's legitimate stuff, it may sort of lower suspicions, 
right, about what, what the nature of this thing really is. And what the virus total report shows is that th- th- this, this trend is also increasing. And we've actually found, uh, like I said in the article discusses, we found examples of this specifically in cloud settings. And we, we can discuss this, but the, the, the point is, n- not only is this happening in, a sort of in, in, in general environments, whether cloud or on-premise, we found a specific example of this happening to GCP, where the legitimate installer for the, co- for the command line interface for Windows, for like how users interact with GCP from their Windows machines, it was included in a malicious package, uh, malware, uh, as as part of this packaging process to maybe to potentially to reduce suspicions of it. So it was, it was interesting. The, the re- virus total report didn't, didn't describe that. I actually went in and worked with vi- the virus total team at Google to actually to run searches on their data to see does this actually happen to things that, that particularly affect GCP, and, and indeed it did. So this is, this is an example where, as you're saying at the beginning, you're kind of availing yourself of other data sets and security work that's going on within the larger Google ecosystem. Yes. Saying, okay, specifically for Google Cloud customers, how are we seeing this threat trend? What is it looking like specifically for them? What do they need to be aware of? Yes, exactly. Yep, that, 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 that's exactly right. We, we wanted to see like the framework that, that VT laid out. That does, does it have sort of you know, specific cloud implications? And, and it did. Right, and we—I mean, it was actually surprising to to find that, but you know, or maybe not. But it was—it was actually interesting. And were there other variations of both of these trends that you saw pop up, you know, across people that are using GCP products and in that ecosystem? So we we found this for GCP. We also found sort of some non-cloud, but Google products too. For example, Chrome. Right, Chrome is a Chrome.exe was another executable that actually included and also malicious install packages. Right, again, sort of interesting. Are they trying to use it? Are they simply packaging and so forth? I mean, again, it, this this may affect sort of how antivirus software looks at this, uh, or how you think about this um, from a risk management point of view. So yes, we found some just a little bit more general Google software as well, including some older Google software that is still actually packaged with malicious packages. That was also interesting to see. So you know, just because time passes, people can still take sort of older software and uh, and try to incorporate it, and, and, and maybe uh, you know, maybe it'll work. And were there other interesting trends that you saw, you know, under this banner of malicious files and URLs and, and IT governance and particularly cloud security governance that kind of was interesting to look at in this past quarter? We actually didn't find uh, necessarily other trends. For example, we, we looked for Favicons specifically, like, and to see, like, are there other Favicons which, which if maybe, for example, affect, like, workspace users, right? So people creating workspace you know, websites with, with this. We actually didn't find that, you know, within VirusTotal. So I, I can't say we necessarily found other trends, but the, what we did find sort of, again, like these examples allows us to sort of to, to do further research and perhaps we will find, right, still other trends that reflect some of these more macro issues that, that you know, we see organizations like VirusTotal reporting against. I mean, that, that's in fact what we're, what we're doing. This, this, this is one example We'll be continuing our research and and uh, and see you know what else we find uh, based on this. So on the topic of continuing research, I know this one just came out, but I'm sure you're already hard at work thinking for ideas and topics for the next iteration. I won't hold you to it, but any interesting ideas or or I guess categories of research or or trends that down the road in the future you'd like to to write about or explore further in terms of an impact for. <laughs> In general, they would, it would go back to sort of the, the things that, that I mentioned in the beginning. I mean, part of this obviously reflects 
current industry threats and trends, right? So again, we're, we're reading the news on a daily basis uh, and we discuss it, right, among the team and, and, and so forth. So if there's sort of some interesting sort of cloud perspectives, and, and there, there, there always are, we will definitely sort of explore you know, writing about them and seeing what data we have. Uh, like I mentioned, we also have internal teams within Google, whether it's like, for example, VirusTotal uh, and, and, and so forth, that, that we will be also working more closely with, given that our team is new, right, or, or somewhat new, and, and we're improving methodology and we're, and we're gradually growing as well, we're now going to explore deeper relationships, right, with internal Google Teams to, to even more uh, leverage data, so do maybe original data analysis, for example, like, like this article. Right, like like that I just mentioned. I mean, that that doesn't exist in any report. This is something that, that we found. Uh, so to continue doing that, and 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 then and then essentially publish some results. Also, I can uh, and this and you probably know this, uh, <clears throat> and it's, it's no secret. I mean, so now now with with Google's acquisition of Mandiant, uh, Mandiant itself, frankly, is going to be helping us uh, potentially write some articles too. Sort of, you know, for, for the THR, we're you know we're, we're grateful for that as well. That's wonderful. So yeah, so we'll be leveraging uh, we'll be leveraging you guys right to uh, to, to help us. Yeah, so so that, that's how we think about this, right? You know, kind of what's what are the trends in the industry? What data can we get? How do we build internal relationships to to create that data, do some data mining, focus on and focus on strategy, right? For for GCP and, and, and workspace uh, workspace customers. Yeah, well, it's exciting to me. I think the, the, the sense I've gotten already interacting with, with Google counterparts now is you have a wealth of, of security expertise in so many different niche areas and obviously focused on, on uh, solving problems for many different Google user sets and customers. But I thought it was really interesting to kind of see, again, as you highlighted in, in some of these articles, how you're taking those insights, how you're taking that perspective and those viewpoints and applying that specifically to this customer base, to this user base, you know, folks and, and organizations using Google Cloud products. So yeah, I hope there's some some good ideas that you get from some of the Mandiant research and, and some of the stuff that we're seeing, you know, in the IR work and, you know, just even thinking now, you know, you mentioned sort of compromised creds and stuff for sale, maybe the underground, you know, maybe our perspective and visibility there could be really useful for some of that sort of trend analysis and, and stuff for future articles. So, yeah, Stan, this has been a fantastic talk, a really good insight. I highly recommend everyone go check this out. If people want to find this report, I guess they could just search for... Uh, the Google Threat Horizons report from uh, yes, and we can, we can provide links and uh, we'll get in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. We, they can they can find the, the the past four reports. They can see exactly kind of how it all began and you know and, and, and what the previous article said, which were also you know very interesting and valuable as well. So. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to reading this uh, again. You know, I think it's great that this is a, a quarterly product and this is public as well, not just for for customers. So hopefully, um, the broader community can avail themselves of that. So thanks for coming on and, and sharing your time. I should also give a shout out, uh, since we're talking about the broader uh, Google ecosystem, a fantastic resource that's you know been for, for me in terms of learning more about how Google thinks about securing GCP users and customers has been the Cloud Security Podcast hosted by uh, Anton and Tim. So I'd highly recommend folks check that out. Again, fantastic resource to, to learn more about what's going on on a security standpoint, some of the autonomic security stuff uh, that you guys have been talking about for some time. So another good resource. But Stan, thanks again for spending some time with us today. Thank you very much, Luke. It was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.